Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today we have an exciting episode uh, talking today about how to deal with and what can be done about false teaching. Uh, This is a really important subject, and it's one that does get talked about quite a lot. But we're going to approach this in a more foundational way. Um, rather than talking about specific things, we're, we're going to deal with arguments and things that deal with false teaching um, and and how should we deal with and, and what can be done about false teaching. So that's, that's what the title of this episode is today, and I hope that you'll find it helpful. And here we go. Um, in Romans 16, you know, Paul has just finished his extensive greetings to the Christians in Rome and in Romans uh, 6 17 it says I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught avoid them now here he begins a warning about false teachers this warning it lasts for several verses it it seems to come almost out of nowhere as the apostle explains the true gospel that alone is a defense against error but he does not mention any false teachers specifically until the end of the letter. And now Paul suddenly turns to the matter of false teaching, and this is not sudden at all. We know from his other letters, such as Galatians, that the apostle uh, frequently had to combat preachers of error, that it infiltrated the churches to which he wrote. And, and since Paul was a capital city of the empire, it was inevitable that such teachers should make their way to this important metropolis. And, and Paul did not want the Christians there to be caught off guard. As to why Paul doesn't mention these false teachers until the very end, uh, some commentators suggest that it's because they were not yet in the city, and so the concern was not immediately pressing. Others think that maybe Paul heard about false teachers in Rome only after he had started writing, and so he puts the warning at the end because it goes there in his writing process. Now, the apostle's instruction is the same one that he gave to the Ephesian elders, namely to be on guard to guard against false teachers who might infiltrate the flock in Acts 20, 29-31. And Paul warns that these false teachers will attempt to divide the church and introduce obstacles that are contrary to true doctrine. He has serious error in mind. The word obstacle in the Greek, it means a spiritual problem that will result in damnation if, if it takes root in a person's life. And the apostle, he wants his audience to be careful about those who would divide professing Christians, who affirm true apostolic doctrine, and, and look out for those who teach soul-damning doctrine. False teaching was by no means a problem limited to the early church. It, it is something we face today, and we must take care not to divide over non-essential matters. But you see, we can have unity with other professing believers only so far as that they stand for the gospel. John Calvin says it is indeed 
uh, a sacrilegious attempt to divide those who agree in the truth of Christ, but it yet is a shameful sophistry to defend under the pretext of peace and unity, a union in lies and impious doctrines. No matter how biblically faithful its confession and its creeds, no church, no denomination is immune from false doctrine. Uh, if church leaders will not keep a watch over the orthodoxy of their ministers, over their denominations, their congregations, and if their congregations refuse to be on watch for error, it's only a matter of time uh, for when falsehood takes root and it, it grows unchecked like a cancer. Leaders and lay people alike have the responsibility of making sure their churches remain united in the truth of the gospel. Very few, if any, false teachers come to the church announcing their plans to lead Christ's sheep away or, or even proclaiming that they are there to overturn the gospel. In fact, history proves that false teachers are, are some of the most charismatic individual people you'll ever meet. If they have a way with words, they're able to sound mostly orthodox while denying uh, perhaps even subtly particular points that are necessary for faithfulness to our Lord. In fact, if they're confronted about this, they'll often make a sweet-sounding appeal to unity, preying on people's inclinations to avoid controversy whenever possible. Now, now there's nothing wrong with speaking well or even preaching eloquently or writing well. And, and one of our highest calling as believers is to seek unity with our brothers and sisters in the faith. But you see, when others... When we lead others astray using smooth talk or they seek a unity that does not have truth as, as its foundation, they are to be marked and avoided, even cast out of the church. For the good of the body, false teaching cannot be tolerated. It is a serious thing. In fact, Paul's warning about false teachers, it shows us how to identify them through signs other than falsehood of, of the teaching itself. And the first sign that the apostle gives is that false teachers serve their own appetites. Literally, Paul says teachers serve their own bellies. In fact, he refers here by the way of metaphor to a lifestyle that reflects indulgences and, and the ego. Christian teachers are not prohibited from enjoying nice things, but they are prohibited from making their paycheck their chief end in their labor. As, as Paul uh, teaches elsewhere, men fit to fill the office of elder will not be lovers of money, 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 tells us. In fact, the second sign of false teachers is their smooth talk and their flattery. This does not mean that pastors and teachers uh, may not have gentle speech that people find pleasing. For Scripture says in Proverbs 15, verse 4, that a, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Uh, rather, what the apostle condemns is dishonest speech that is hidden by flattering comments and words that, that praise people for the sake of their approval and not because there is genuine sentiment behind it. False teachers use words to attract and even retain others, not for the sake of unity, but for their own sake. Now, John Calvin says this also. The preachers of the gospel who have their courtesy and their pleasing manner, but but are joined with honesty so that they neither soothe men with their vain praises nor flatter their vices, but impostors allure men by flattery and spare and indulge their vices that they may keep them attached to themselves. And when it comes to false teaching, what matters is not really the form of the words spoken, but their content and the intent behind them. Sometimes truth must be presented with harsh words, 
but often it can be conveyed with gentleness. Similarly, words of praise do not have to be insincere. Whether we are teachers or not, let us seek to speak only the truth, and let us do so with gentleness or firmness that the occasion requires. Now, following the the teaching of the Lord Jesus is central to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, the Great Commission in Matthew uh, 28, 18 through 20 is perhaps the, the most well-known passage on the purpose of the church. It has a, go, has a core concept. Uh, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And as a result, the church has always made great efforts to teach the Bible. But efforts do not always bring about results. Interaction with culture, difficult passages in the Bible, and the power of sin affect the mind have contributed to the formulation and dissemination of false or incorrect teaching. And churches and individual believers make a serious mistake if they think to themselves, this can't happen here at my church, this can't happen in my ministry. Thinking we are immune to error, it places us in a very dangerous situation. It is exactly what the enemy he wants. He wants us to be asleep. He wants us to be unaware of his efforts to attack believers through false teaching. Now, we need to understand here, false teaching is really, really a big deal. It's a real threat to the church. False teaching is not a threat only in certain circumstances or only in churches with certain governmental structures or in certain places and cultures in the world, we, we must recognize it is a threat because the Bible, it continually warns us it's a threat. Jesus warns us that false teachers will come from outside the community of Christians trying to hide their true intentions. In Matthew seven fifteen through 20, Peter tells us that false teachers can also arise from within the community of believers, bringing doctrine that is destructive and poisonous in 2 Peter 2.1. In fact, the Apostle Paul continually warned the churches that he served if false teachers in their midst were left unchecked. The results would be disastrous. Simply put, false teaching is not just a problem for, for people and for churches out there. It's a problem about which all believers must be vigilant against and which they must be on guard. The Bible's testimony about false teaching must make it clear that that we're not invulnerable to this threat. When we're tempted to think we're beyond such threats because we have it all figured out together, we, we do well to remember that the Apostle Paul's warning to the Corinthian church, which, which uh, thought it was beyond the heirs that sprung up during the days of the Old Testament Israel in 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If doctrinal aberrations can spring up in churches that were nurtured with the teaching of the apostles, what makes us think that we're immune today? Paul had to warn the Galatians about false teaching on the central doctrine of the faith, how man is justified before God when a generation of disciples that were taught directly by Jesus were still walking on the earth. How can we afford to be complacent? And since we're talking about how we're called to be alert to the threat of false teaching in our midst, 
For what should we be looking? Should we expect someone to stand up in the middle of our worship service and declare, the church has had it all wrong for years and years? Let me, let me tell you what the Bible really teaches. And by the way, people actually do say that. Not, maybe not directly in our churches, but they certainly do say that on the Internet. And do we expect bold decorations that strike at the heart of the Bible's teaching, such as God is not real or Jesus is not God? If we expect that a sudden and even dramatic falsehood will enter the church, we will not be looking in the right place. And it's true that, that great falsehoods have been found in the church, but, but not typically in a sudden fashion. The enemy of our souls, he, he prefers a subtler approach. He sows doubts and he twists the truths to make falsehood acceptable. After all, that first attack on man was not, how can you possibly believe that? But it, it says in Genesis, did God really say that? In fact, another thing we need to remember is that false teaching does not always come into the church as a result of deliberate attempts to deceive Christians and to trick them into denying the faith. Such tactics certainly are possible. The New Testament records instances in Galatians 2.4 that the false brethren who sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, and those who crept in unnoticed, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into liciousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ in Jude 4. We should not be naive and, and ignore signs of any such attacks. Um, you see, but more often the danger of false teaching, it comes from other avenues. Three avenues to which we must be especially alert are the desire to find some new or interesting teaching or doctrine and overreaction to other teaching errors in the church and a desire even to avoid criticism, particularly criticism from the world around us. And perhaps the most innocent way that false teaching comes into the church is when somebody... Uh, Somebody attempts to find a new and an innovative way to understand the Bible. The Bible is an ancient book that pastors and elders and scholars have studied for millennia. It's hard to think of a biblical topic about which hundreds of books and articles have not been written. In fact, even on the most controversial of subjects, such as baptism or ecclesiology or, or eschatology, virtually every theological position has been staked out. Now, not every teacher is satisfied with describing various historical interpretations or even presenting historically biblical truth in a clear and a convincing fashion. But for some, there's even a need to blaze a path where no one has gone before, teaching the Bible in a way that is not dependent on any predecessor. That is wrong, by the way. Uh, for others, there, there is a desire to solve a definitively a thorny biblical issue over which theologians have wrangled for centuries. This leads them into uncharted territory, expressing untested ideas and interpretations of the Bible. The Jesuit scholar Luis du, uh, de Molina thought that he had discovered a, a way to reconcile the old age, the age-old conflict between theologians about free will and predestination in a new teaching called middle knowledge. In fact, in the end, all he accomplished was to confuse people about uh, God's providence and God's care. In fact, a more modern example would be those who have put forward the idea of open theism in an effort to protect God from being accused of responsibility for evil in the world. The, the result, though, has been to present a God who is, who's weak. He's unable to provide for his people and ultimately at the mercy of the actions of man. 
we we need to be aware of this entry point for false teaching when when others come up to us to convince us of a great new insight that's never been heard before and when we're tempted to make a name for ourselves with some new teaching it's far better to be thought of as boring when we stand fast and contend earnestly for the faith which was handed down to the saints jude 3 now, a second way that false, teacher, false teaching can enter in the church is when teachers try overzealously to protect the church from error. And by overzealously, I, I'm not referring to the mere effort made to protect the church from error, but rather to the extent to which some go in the name of protecting the church. The great and the most uh, per- precious truths of the Bible have been explained and understood with great care throughout the centuries. Doctrines such as the Trinity, the person of Christ, and the relationship between faith and works have been developed from an understanding of the totality of Scripture and with the knowledge that there are equal and opposite errors that someone can fall into. And in the Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan described the Christian's journey through the valley of the shadow of death as walking between two dangers— a deep ditch on the right, and a deep quag on the left. If one moves too sharply in either direction to avoid one danger, one can fall into the opposite danger. And perhaps the best historical example of this is the way that false teaching on the person of Christ came into the church. In fact, in trying to understand how the church can be, how Christ can be both human and divine, Nestorius and his followers sought a sharp division in Christ that essentially made him two persons, one human and one divine. And the church took issue with this teaching and even condemned it at the first council of, of Ephesus. But in an overzealous attempt to correct Nestorian error, Eutyides and his followers taught that the, that the way of uh, con- uh, conceiving of two persons in Christ was, was to understand the divinity of Christ as, as overwhelming the humanity of Christ, essentially denying his true humanity. Uh, they had successfully avoided one false teaching only to fall headlong into another. Another example is when false teachers throughout history have sought to deal with the supposed problem of tritheism in the doctrine of the Trinity, that the doctrine appears to teach there are three gods. From Sabellus in the 3rd century to Michael Severus during the Reformation to oneist theologians today, attempts to ensure that the church teaches monotheism have to often result in false teaching about the Trinity. And a third way that false teaching enters the church is when teachers are overly desirous to avoid criticism, especially when that criticism comes from the surrounding culture. And this is where human nature and our sinful pride comes in. People don't like to be thought of as ignorant, uncultured, or even uneducated. They don't like to be looked down on by others for things that they believe or even say. And yet this is a fundamental part of being a Christian. To be a Christian, it means to believe what God says in his word is true. Even if everyone around you disagrees, Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true even though everyone were a liar. Martin Luther put it with his characteristic wit, one with God is a majority, but often this is easier said than done. Teachers within the church can become afraid that they'll have no effect on the world around them unless they teach in a way that, that's acceptable to the culture. It was this way of thinking that led to a departure from the biblical truth about the atonement and Christ's sacrifice. Cries against cosmic child abuse and a harsh and avengeful God have led some to teach that the substitutionary atonement of Christ is wrong. In fact, this in turn has led to the redefinition of sin, repentance, and even holiness itself. And once the thread starts to unravel, the whole cloth begins to tear. 
Another example of this tendency is a way that teachers in the, within the church have even shied away from the biblical doctrine of creation set forth in you know, Genesis 1 through 2, Isaiah 40, and Colossians 1, among other places. And rather than seem to go against a scientific consensus, such teachers deny that God is the creator of all things. And what's especially dangerous is that false teaching can come into the church from the culture because people have, quote-unquote, good intentions. They want to reach the lost, so they try to remove anything they think is a barrier. And we should not make a point of intentionally attacking our neighbors, but we never should never be afraid to stand on the Word of God, even when such a stand is unpopular. And that means we must be wary of those within the church who are constantly trying to accommodate the latest cultural thinking. We have seen that some of the ways that false teaching arises in the church, but we need to ask the question, how then does it take root? How does it continue, despite being contrary to the truth of God's Word and to the mission of the church? If we can see how false teaching spreads, how it becomes accepted, we'll be more prepared to confront it. In fact, there's a variety of ways involved here, but we need to be brief here. This is a podcast, after all. Uh, Let us look at three. One educational, one institutional, one religious. Related to leadership. In fact, one of the most common contributors to the spread of false teaching in the church is a, it's a lack of biblical knowledge and discernment among the people. It might seem counterintuitive to say that students should be able to correct teachers when they bring falsehood into the church, but that's exactly what the Bible teaches us. And when Paul was in Berea, his teaching was not merely accepted on his own authority, but his listeners examined it daily by the scriptures to see whether it was true. Acts 17.11 tells us this. And for this, they were praised by Luke as being more noble. All believers must read scripture for themselves and compare what's being taught to the scriptures. This does not require a radical skepticism. But it does mean that believers are are not to unhesitatingly trust every word of mere men. They are to trust only what the Scripture says in, in such a way. You see, a problem arises when believers do not have the willingness or the ability to search the Scriptures themselves. This leads to a dependence on human authority. It allows false teaching to take root and even to spread like wildfire. The educational goal of the local church should should be not just to transmit knowledge of the Bible, but also to transmit a love for the Bible and an eagerness to study the Bible. Now, a second contributor to the spread of false teaching, it's institutional. It's a failure to hold people accountable for their false teaching. It has often been noted there are three marks of, of the true church, the right preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, and the exercise of discipline. That third mark exists to make sure that the first two marks are maintained. When the church turns a blind eye to false teaching because its proponents are popular or they have successful ministries, they, they have more people, they have more money, or simply to avoid conflict in the church, it allows false teaching to spread and, and to be the source of further division and further conflict. In fact, church discipline it exists to uphold the glory of Christ and his truth, also, though, to protect the people of God from error and from consequences. And this is the third con- contributor to the advance of false teaching of the church. It's, it's related to leadership. Even when the people of God are eager to study his word and, and when the church is prepared to exercise discipline, false teaching can flourish when the leadership of the church is ill-prepared and poorly trained. In fact, the lower that we set our standards for training pastors and elders in ministry, the less prepared they'll be to recognize false teaching. 
Pastors and elders who are untrained in historical theology, for example, will miss the reappearance of ancient false teaching in modern clothing. Those who have not been trained well in the Bible, its languages, its, its principles of sound interpretation may fall prey to novel teachings that, that seem to explain away problems or even contradictions. And to combat false teaching, the church needs pastors, elders, teachers who are both willing and able to confront false teaching. False teaching is a danger to the church, and it can arise from quarters, and it can flourish if it's not confronted. So how does knowing the origin, the presence of false teaching help us combat it? To, to be brief here, such knowledge, it keeps us from being complacent about false teaching and the danger it presents. Being aware of where false teaching comes from, it keeps us alert. And perhaps most importantly, if we're mindful of false teaching, we will be driven to, a, to study our Bibles more and more, to be prepared to stand for the truth that the Lord has given us and impresses on our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode of the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Until next Monday and Wednesday, may God bless you and keep you. Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins.